if, you know, when you look at the list of black billionaires, there's not many of us. There's always like 10 or fewer in the United States. So I'm like, I want to add to that list. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Post Game Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it. And at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas, and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers, and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. Welcome to part two of Comfortably Odd, an odyssey into the journey of Daryl Sharpton, one of the most unique gentlemen I've ever interviewed and ever met. The guy has always been an entrepreneur at heart, as evidenced by his tenacity for business ownership, even while playing football at the University of Miami and throughout his career in the NFL. In part two of the episode, you'll hear how Daryl was able to leverage his experiences to create insanely efficient and profitable business models in Edlo Finch and Albany Park Furniture. Daryl was able to use his natural leadership abilities to build an entire team remotely during the pandemic to optimize systems and eventually sell the companies to a PE fund while remaining on as co-CEO with his wife, who's the real brains of the operation. Well, I don't want to give too much away. So with that, sit back and enjoy the episode. Or something and like I can't throw like my arm doesn't work or like I get picked off in the college world series like <laughs> man it's uh now what's that hat it looks fly boat. boat so this is actually a Miami guy Andrew Lane who actually works who I work with at Amicon he oh okay he was a former Miami pitcher and now he's our controller he's really our future CFO What's going on over there? They have some sort of like baseball, like pipeline or something like that. What's going on? It's uh, Amicon is like post game podcast. The experience is what it is. <laughs> so, oh man, that's pretty cool though. So he that's started, cool. it stands for best of all time. And you remember John Jay, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So John, definitely. yeah. So John Jay just bought in and they're partners now. Oh, that's pretty so, cool. I actually, I went to middle school with John and his little sister actually we went yeah. to middle school together and. You get to UM, you've got a scholarship to a school that you never thought that you would ever have a scholarship to. You're playing at the highest level of elite football in the country against guys that you've idolized from a football perspective. And you slowly, or actually you quickly realize that athletics is always a priority and academics are secondary. How did you respond to that? I responded to that like... I don't know. I guess I responded to that and I just really focused in on football because I'm really I was really competitive. I still am really competitive. I'm competitive about everything that I do, whether it's football or business or anything. I'm super competitive. So I was like, 
hey, if I'm going to be here for football, I want to get drafted in the first round. So I was like, I turned into like a workout freak, got strength and conditioning athlete of the year. I started lifting weights, drinking those metric shakes, drinking like whatever I could. I just wanted to be faster, bigger. Yeah, I just threw my whole life into football. In college, yeah, I threw my whole life into football. But at the same time, interestingly enough, it was kind of like, it's kind of like I had this two-pronged approach where I, just, I didn't really care that much about like, I basically I gave up on the curriculum of the school, like as far as like this class and that class, that was just like noise to me. That was just like, whatever. Like I really didn't, I really didn't care about that much. I really focused on football and like running these businesses on the side. So I knew that like, like the businesses on the side were more my backup plan. I knew I wanted to do, if football didn't work out, I wanted to have like e-commerce business already kind of like in the works running in the background. So I always kept like an e-commerce business, a business going on the side, cause that was my backup. Because sometimes, man, I'm not gonna lie, you know, sometimes like coach or something pisses you off or you have an injury that sets you back or anything, I hated feeling like lost. I hated feeling like, man, like this is all, I needed to have like something else, you know what I mean? And I really, I really didn't feel like football was the end all be all. Even in the NFL, I didn't feel like it was the end all be all, you know? Was there anybody else besides like the walk-ons on the team who felt the same way? Like, was there anyone you could relate to on that? Yeah, you know what? I don't think so. It was like my own little private, deal I had actually one of my good childhood best friends his brother actually was one of the founders of Dropbox and me and him we were kind of business partners kind of building these websites on the side and really getting into all this e-commerce stuff so but as far as like my football teammates I wouldn't say so not to say that nobody else was doing anything like that it was just like it was like two different worlds I had you know yeah yeah so as you're building these e-commerce businesses, I think we talked last time about you had like a paintball website that you sold. So like, how do you find time to do that? Like people don't have time to eat when they're an athlete and, I know. and a student. Yeah, no, you're right. You know what it is? I think it's like I found time like late nights, just, I don't know. I, that's a really good question. In retro, like now having three kids, I'm like, yeah, I know how I had time. I didn't have three kids. Like. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I did it. Like, but yeah, I don't know. I just found time because I was really, really passionate about it. It was really important to me. Like, to be honest with you, I was really, I was more like the design guy. Like I love like designing websites, like the user interface, the user experience, where the links were placed. I mean, I actually look back on the websites now and they were hideous, but at the time they were fresh. Like yeah. they were like the freshest thing ever. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I found time to make money, making money was important to me. So was it the money that drove you towards this or was it more the design orientation in the UX that you were passionate about? Or was it like, listen, I'm passionate about design and I realize this is an avenue to make money and football won't always make me money. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. and I mean, not to sound like a very shallow person, but I think I have a nose, I have a nose for money. And I knew that, you know, I had a nose for money, I had a passion for e-commerce and I kind of had a sense that that was the future. And I really just kind of dove into that. But yeah, so just continuing on that path, like I would say definitely it was football and making money on the side. It was the e-commerce business. And then really truly the most important piece 
that kind of was a catalyst to all this was just me selling furniture in college, you so, know, just. Yeah, I mean, let's get into that because we talk about paintball. We talk generally about e-commerce. We talk about an avenue to make money. But how did you get into selling furniture and why furniture? Yeah, so furniture was it. So I was looking for a sofa on Craigslist. And I think I told you this story before, but I was looking for a sofa on Craigslist. And I stumbled across an ad for this lady who sold this beige microfiber sectional. And she was like out in the middle of nowhere, like, well, at the time it was the middle of nowhere, but it was like in Doral or like way out in West Kendall, like somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And I drove to this lady's house, walk in this lady's whole entire house is like a furniture showroom. And she has these catalogs stacked up with all these that have like the catalogs of all the models that are inside of her house. So like, I pretty much immediately gathered like, oh, wow, this actually isn't this lady's house. This is her business. So I naturally like took one of the catalogs from her and I decided to do pretty much the same thing in my college apartment where I would set up, you know, I actually bought the microfiber sectional from her because I wanted to see the whole sales process. Yeah. She dropped it, shipped it from a local distributor. I got in contact with that distributor and I set up the same exact operation in my college apartment. And from there, I started selling these sofas, putting them on Craigslist and marking them up only like 50 bucks from the distributor. And my phone was blowing up. I was a sofa plug. People were like, do you really have a sofa here for $500 a sofa in this picture? I was like, yes, like come over to the apartment. Boom, boom, boom. So people are coming over. They can't believe the price is so good. They're like, you're really gonna sell this? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So boom, getting order, selling sofas. I feel like, I don't even know. I feel like, feel like the man, like I'm just like, people are just coming over, just buying these sofas. And then, you know, just like talking to people, I had this aha moment where I realized, oh, wow, like this sofa, it isn't just like this random article of, this is not just like a random product. Like people need this sofa to start their home. Like this is the cornerstone of starting a home is a sofa. So it's, it's an, it's a bare necessity. And from there, I realized, oh, wow, like this is something that I really want to get into because I like selling things that people need, not like I don't like selling like trinkets or, you know, I like selling like like a paintball gun or a heart rate monitor. Like You don't need those things. You know what I mean? But a yeah, sofa, you don't want to talk somebody into spending money that they could they're better off saving. Right. Like yeah, exactly. The best possible essential that they're going to have to buy anyways. Right. Right. And that really at that moment, I realized, man, this is what I want to do. I want to sell people things that they need, that they have to have. And like a sofa was it. So you're how old at this point? Where are you in your football career? I'm a I believe at this point, it's my junior year. It's my junior year when I started doing this and I was going into my senior year. So this whole entire time, I'm, you know. I'm selling sofas and you want to know, this is a true fact. I hope you can edit this down and make it shorter. But one of the reasons why I really got into the business was to be honest with you, I started selling too many sofas from the distributor and the distributor started putting a cap on how many sofas I could buy from them a month. And it was something like, Hey, you can only buy like, they're like, Hey, you can only buy like five sofas from us a month. We got to slow you down. We have to sell some of these sofas. We have to save some of these sofas for our bigger accounts. And I was like, your bigger accounts. I was like, I am, I am your one of your bigger accounts. Just sell me the sofas. What's the difference? They're like, no, we have relationships with these people. Like, we'll reserve five for you, but the rest of these, like, you can't have more than five. And I was like, huh? 
I can't have more than five sofas. And I really didn't like that feeling of like, I had this like revenue stream coming. I'm selling these sofas and these people put like a hard cap and what I can buy from them. So my first natural reaction was like, I'm pissed. And I'm like, I need to, I need to go to China and make these myself, or I need to go to Vietnam. I need to go somewhere. I need to go to the source because the distributors cut me off. So that's where I had the first initial idea of, I want to manufacture sofas myself because I can't be controlled by a middleman or distributor yeah. as far as my supply because they're messing up my cash flow. Yeah, you'll handle the you demand. Know? Yeah, you'll handle the demand. You'll make sure that it's there. You need to be able to supply it to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But at that point, you're still, You have, did you have more kids since we spoke? <laughs> <laughs> no. Do your thing. Uh, same crew, just a different day, closing the doors. It was really selling. So the way it went was it went from selling the sofas in college having an aha moment of realizing how essential this was to people's lives because the way that my phone was blowing up, it was like, it was just unbelievable. Like people were like, like at this price point selling this product, you will sell these things. It wasn't like people weren't coming in there saying like, oh yeah, I like this sofa, but I wish the arms were a little bit more like this. I wish this was a little, no, it was like, I need a sofa, I'm gonna buy it immediately. So at this point, you've got a proof of concept that in your mind is a scalable business for you and something that right. you're into, right? But you're also playing football. So, right. and at this point, did you know that you were gonna get drafted? Was that even in your mind? I think it was in my mind somewhere, but I think I was so caught up in this concept of be manufacturing my own sofas. I think at this point, my idea was how much will it cost to manufacture these sofas myself in China? How much do I need? How much will I make in one year playing in the NFL so I can go right back to doing this? Cause this is a gold mine. Like I was like, if I could sell, you know what I mean? I was like, this yeah. is a gold mine. So I was like, I think I was thinking more along those lines. So my initial thought was like, okay, I'm gonna go play in the NFL get whatever I need, start up, get right back into selling these sofas. Um, but that obviously did not happen. Like, so I got, yeah. So walk, you know, walk, walk me through college draft NFL and kind of where this whole idea is in your mind the whole time. So I have this idea, I get drafted. I remember literally like looking at like how much I'm estimated to get paid the signing bonus, the salary. I even looked up like how much of the signing bonus I, I would have to give back if I quit after the first year, if I keep the whole thing. And it was like, oh no, you have to like give back the prorated amount if you, right. if you leave. And I was like, all right, crap, like blah, 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 blah. So I was, I was really, really thinking about this. So even so much so that in the middle of my rookie year, I attempted to start the business. Like I even, I found somebody who graduated from Miami. I forget who it was. I found someone who was willing to like partner with me and like import the furniture and warehouse it. I had this, I was so into doing it that I, I tried to do it. And I, I talked to my dad and some other people and they're like, ah, no, nah, I wouldn't do that. It's like, that's a lot to try to like play professional football and run like a furniture business on the side. In retrospect, I think they were being nice to me and they probably thought I had lost my mind. Like, like dude, but I you, was are, like, you have the opportunity to live everybody else's dream. Like, please go do that. <laughs> like you can sell furniture whenever you want. Yeah. That actually was like pretty much verbatim what they said. And I was like, oh, I guess, but yeah, to be honest, I totally got my whole idea went out the window. As soon as I got that signing bonus, as soon as I started getting those first little paychecks from football, I was like, Hey, this is kind of nice. I could do this for 
a few years. So then that mixed in with me getting super competitive in the NFL and not wanting to be mediocre and like just getting like really caught up and just really wanting to get my body exploited for money. Like, you know, I was just <laughs> we, we, we've all been there, right? <laughs> I was like, oh man, just exploit me, do surgeries on me. Use oh me. man, just yeah. Have, yeah, use me, baby. Yeah. So, <laughs> out of me. come on, baby. So, so, I totally got caught up in the NFL moment. But then I would say, after nine surgeries, five years in the NFL, and needing to have another surgery to continue to play. I was like, yeah, enough is enough. Now it had been five years since I had the furniture bug and it had definitely, that spirit had kind of died in me a little bit, but it was fairly easy to, to reincarnate it. So after the fact, you know, I talked to my wife, but at this point I had fallen in love, gotten married. I think we had just had our first baby Bria and we were sitting in Arizona right after my final injury and I had gotten released from the team and we're sitting there in Arizona like, so what's next? And, you know, I decided, I started reading all these entrepreneur books and like all these like books about emerging technologies. And I swear to God, it's like I had been in a time warp because when I had first entered the NFL, in my mind, Amazon was a bookstore. And then by the time I left the NFL, Amazon was like this totally different beast yeah, yeah. of a company. And the world, it's like the world had changed right before my eyes. So that's why I was reading all these books to be like, I felt really stupid actually for a little bit. I was like, what the hell is going on in the world? Like, let me start reading books and whatnot. So then I kind of caught myself up with all the emerging technologies. And I guess at that point, long story short, my wife was like, hey, like, why are you thinking about all this crazy stuff? Like, why don't you just like sell furniture sell like furniture. you did in college? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in my mind, I was like, no, like I'm way more sophisticated now. She's like, Daryl, just like do what you're passionate about. And I was like, all right, I'm going to sell furniture. Then I was like, I'm booking a flight to China. I'm going to talk to the manufacturers because that's how I am. Like when I want to do something, I'm going to go direct. And she's like, slow down. Let's go to like, let's study this a little bit. Let's study the latest trends. Let's go to the furniture markets. Let's start going to these fairs and really studying before you jump right into it. I think it'll be really useful. I think it'd be really helpful. And I was like, okay, so then that's what we started doing. We went to North Carolina to the high point market. Well, it is the biggest furniture market in North America. Started walking around, looking at things, getting inspiration. It was actually really helpful because it really allowed me to realize what was beautiful, what kind of designs I wanted to use, where the opportunities were. And yeah, when I went there, I actually got really inspired. And I was like, oh man, like I'm going to eat these people's lunch. Like I, I, I started feeling like oh man, these people, they don't know who I am. Like they think I'm just this, this nobody watch. I'm going to show them. Like I got this like competitive drive from walking around the market, which I love it. It's kind of like, like I said, I get really competitive. So yeah. So that was kind of the pretense, the precursor. I'm bad with vocab. Help me out. Predecessor. Catalyst. Maybe I don't even know. Catalyst. Yeah. Maybe the catalyst. Yeah. I think I used that one already, but yeah, that was like the catalyst to me starting Fuse. our own business. <laughs> I'm about to write, I'm about to type it and just right click synonyms and see what, see what comes up. That's the, that's the secret to my success, by the way, is right click. Synonym. All right. So, so you got the fire, you're in the high point market. You're like, listen, these chumps been thinking that furniture is competitive. Like I'll show you what competitive looks like. And, yeah. then, and yeah. then you slide into it. And it's at this point, it's you and your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So I told you this story before. It's hard for me to tell the story without telling this part. 
So it's funny, like my wife actually wasn't my first choice for business partners. Like it wasn't really like, that wasn't my plan. I don't know if it was like, like chauvinism, sexism, whatever, or maybe I don't even think it was that. I think it was the fact that my wife literally had a job at the time. I don't know what it was. In retrospect, I'm like, why didn't I just go into business with my wife? Yeah. I don't know why I didn't, but I learned the hard way. So when I went to High Point, I randomly ran into these these two Turkish gentlemen who, we, you know, we just chatting it up around the market and we had a lot in common. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Houston. I'm like, all right, I don't know. They asked me where I was from and I said, I was from Houston. They said they were from Houston too. They said, what are you here for? I said, I'm here to start a furniture business. They said, we're here to start a furniture business too. And I said, man, that's pretty coincidental. Maybe we should have lunch when we're back in Houston and see if maybe we should do something together. So we went back, we had lunch, we had a similar, you know, it was like too coincidental not to give it a shot. And I could also mitigate some risks. So I said, okay, cool. So I went into business with these Turkish guys and they had this very like crazy, they had this very, very crazy, aggressive way of thinking about business. And I kind of liked it. A Turkish way of thinking about business. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know if that was like a thing, but it was like, I was like, so what are you going to do? They're like, don't worry about it. They're like, we're just going to jump in the water and figure out how to swim. I was like, okay. And then they're, uh, they're like, we're just going to order a bunch of furniture and we'll figure out how to sell it. And I said, I like it. Let's do it. So I got into business with these guys and the business relationship kind of fell apart after one year. And these guys were like, one of them was about 50, they're both about 15 years older than me. And I think they kind of missed the boat with e-commerce and they were like, they really wanted the business to evolve into like a brick and mortar stores. Gotcha. And I wanted the business to go e-commerce. So I was busy selling furniture online out of our warehouse that we had, and they were busy in the storefront. And I was like, and we were discussing how the business should grow. I was like, Hey, like this online thing's taking off. Let's like, let's chill on the storefront and focus like, on the internet. You're like, here's, here's some books on emerging technology. I just... Yeah, <laughs> I, I just exactly. cut it myself. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> I was trying to show them the stats and this and that. They're like, no, 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 no. This is the stores where it's at. They had this like idea of creating all these brick and mortar stores all around Texas and across the U.S. And I was like, nah, that's stupid. Let's sell it online. Like it'll grow way faster. We got to a point where we didn't agree and we split up amicably, quote unquote. I think it was amicably. You know, they bought out my shares at the company. I made a modest gain on that. So I took my shares and then it was funny because my wife was building a house, just random fact. She was just building a house so that we could flip it. We bought this piece of land and she was like, oh, I think I could build a house here. So she was like the general contractor building this house, getting all the subcontractors. And she ended up flipping that house around the same time that I broke off with a business partner. So like she had just got this lump sum of money from selling this house. I had just gotten this money from like getting out of this business partnership. So it was like, we're just looking at each other. Let's, let's and do it I together. Was like, we trust each other. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I watch you build this house. I watch you. She's like, well, I watched you run this furniture business and sell this furniture. So it's kind of at this point where I was like, Hey baby, I want to support you. Let's build houses all around Houston. And she was like, uh, actually, baby, I want to support you and sell furniture. So we were like going back and forth on like, man, should we build houses or sell furniture? And she's like, Daryl, we could build houses anytime, but the furniture opportunity is right now. Like you have all this information, all this knowledge and drive and these relationships that you built. Like, let's do the furniture thing. And I was like, all right, boom. 
Edlow Finch was founded. I fly to China. The rest is history. We take off and, you know, and we do and this that's thing. That's it, baby. That's it. <laughs> Where'd the name Edlow Finch come from? Edlow is a popular street here in Houston. It's not like a super, it's not one of the main, main thoroughfares, but it's a pretty popular street here. And that's where our, at the time, our kids went to school off of Edlow. Our favorite restaurant was on Edlow. They went swimming off of Edlow. So we were on Edlow Street all the time. So when we're throwing around names, we're just like, okay, Edlow. They were like, let's add something to it. Like, let's add something to it. So we were like, Edlow this, Edlow that. And my wife's like, what about Edlow Finch? And I was like, hmm, I like how that sounds. Let's ride with it. And we locked it down. Well, it's a great name. I've owned some Edlow Finch in my time. I currently own big ass couch from Albany Park. Weird. Whoop. Giant couch. Absolutely love it. I have to order more pieces. I need it more giant. I've got more space to fill than I thought I would. What are you drinking? What is that? This is a bitter melon elixir. Oof. It's one of my it's one of my secrets. Like green juices is like seriously one of my secret life hacks. Yeah, I mean trying to die old too. So <laughs> Don't drink soda, drink water, drink cold pressed juices. I see you, man. You look healthy, by the way. You look really healthy. Yeah, you, you see my skin glowing and all that? Unbelievable. And the lights behind yeah. you. Yeah, you look Yeah, it's angelic. It's angelic. You and I could talk about you all day. Let's <laughs> So talk to me about Albany Park. So where'd that come from? Just a different so, line or what? Yeah, so let me I'm gonna give you a I'm gonna make it real quick. So 2017 we launched Edlow Finch. And it started off as a wholesale distributor. So the idea of Edlo Finch was import products and we were, and we did sell it to the big online retailer. So Edlo Finch sold to Wayfair, Amazon, Walmart, and a bunch of other like mid-sized to small retailers. So we were just like operating super lean where we just had a warehouse full of furniture and we sold it to these platforms. When somebody bought it, we shipped it to their customers. So that was how the business started. But around 2019, I wanted to shift to a direct-to-consumer model. I didn't want to sell to Wayfair, Amazon, and Walmart anymore. I wanted to sell directly to the consumer. And that was kind of a mix between, you know, these big retailers. They start asking for price decreases, and they want to change the terms. Yep. It, it, just, it, kind of, it just became a lot of friction between us and, and our retail customers. So I was like, man, I think it's time for us to sell directly to the consumers, Jessica. And she's like, no, I don't want to do it. Like, let's just wholesale. And I was like, nah, let's do this retail thing. Trust me, trust me. She's like, all right, girl, let's do it. So I, to go directly to the consumer, we decided to take all the lessons that we learned from Edlow Finch and develop the Albany Park brand. And what we learned from Edlow Finch was, man, I think that the sofa buying experience is too much. There's just like most retailers had like hundreds or even thousands of sofa options when in reality customers didn't need that many options yeah you like know? what percentage you know it's probably like 80 percent of the purchases come from like five different swatches or something like that right yeah 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 exactly that's exactly what we noticed i mean even at edlo finch we sold a lot more sofa models even in even than what you see now what we noticed was like man we have all these models but people were really buying these two models that we were selling and all the other models, we were just selling them kind of sparingly. So we're like, hey, what if we like trimmed all the fat and we just like sold people the top selling models? We didn't have this whole thing where people have to scroll through all these pages of sofas where they have these like 
little minute differences, but they're all basically the same. And all these what ifs kind of turned into Albany Park. It's no secret I'm a bit of a diva when it comes to interior design. The space you surround yourself with can change the way you feel, the way you think, the way you live. Your home should be a space that elicits your best self in your optimal lifestyle. Whether you're looking for a massive pit sectional for the whole family to jump on, a sleeper sofa, a high design couch for your apartment, or a decorative chair to make a statement in any room, both Edlo Finch and Albany Park make it easy to anchor your home with cozy, stylish sofas and armchairs. As listeners of the podcast, you can use the code POSTGAME at checkout for 10% off any purchase site-wide. Edlo Finch in Albany Park. The cozy home begins here. Nice. I mean, because Albany Park is super easy to scroll through. Like, it was easy as hell right. for me to make a decision. The stuff looks good. And, like, if you go to, I mean, I don't want to, you know, talk against other brands because other brands make good stuff. But you get, like, paralysis by analysis, right? You start comparing three or four things that look great, and you can't make up your right. mind. You purchase nothing. And then you find something that's easy to purchase from a place like Albany Park, and you just click the button. And it's, you know, the pricing is relatively competitive. Yeah. So Plug! Yeah, plug, so, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> but yeah, so that was really the premise behind it to eliminate decision fatigue, make it super easy for customers to shop. It ships to your front door. You're a customer. The original idea was for it to ship in three to five business days with UPS or FedEx. Those times can be a little delayed now with, you know, the world, the world as it is. But yeah, it ships, it ships to your front door in boxes that could be easily maneuvered through tight hallways and spaces. So Albany Park is really just like our direct to consumer brand became our flagship brand. And that's really when the whole business took off is when we launched Albany Park in 20, at the end of 2019. That's, yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Is, were you expecting such a, such a, you know, bulk turnaround Man. from that? Or like, were you able, were your warehouses big enough? Were, you know, did you have enough employees? Not at all. I kind of, it all like, luckily we operated in a very like lean, remote, scalable atmosphere because like we leverage 3PLs. Our workforce has always been remote. So like when you leverage 3PLs, it's kind of like cloud storage. You pay for what you need. So if you fill up one warehouse, then they can open up another warehouse for you. You just pay for the space that you use in the warehouses. And a cool thing about the 3PLs is two of our largest warehouses, one of which is in, in Houston, in South Houston, another one is in South Carolina. I've never even been to these warehouses. You know what I mean? Like I've never physically been there. You just, you open them up, you tell them, hey, we're going to send you 30 containers a month open it up and we'll send you the orders and then send it to our customers. So it's like, wow, it's not like we have to like hire warehouse staff and do this That's and comply great. with this buy racks and forklifts. So opening up a warehouse now is like super duper easy. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's so it's almost it's, like direct fulfillment from Amazon almost. Right. Yeah. It's the same yeah, thing. Exactly. They're not cutting your prices to satisfy their, you know, right. Yeah, exactly. Their, their it's, it's like, it's like the same thing. So it's, it's super easy for us to open up warehouses. So Albany Park took off. And I mean, here's my wife, Jessica. She's Brain, distracting me with, brains she's the distracting me with her sexiness and all her brains. Wow. Yeah. I can turn the camera off. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, after we launched Albany Park, 
you know, obviously I talk a lot of trash. I'm super confident. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be successful. We're going to rock it. We're going to do this. But I will admit that it, it went beyond even my wildest dreams. Like if you look at like my projections, when we started the business, like, like we're way like off the charts of even where I thought we would be. I don't want, I mean, I don't know if you can talk specifics, but like what's a baseline pro forma look like and what do you guys do? And how many employees do you have? Man, so right now we have, we have about, I will admit, I don't know if baseline performer is like your industry term or I'm an idiot or what. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you're <laughs> probably a combination of all of it. No, dude. <laughs> it's a French term, you know, it, it comes from the old French language. No, like your baseline projection, your business plan. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... I'll say this. I would say the first, our first year in business, we did like 380,000 in revenue. The next year we did 1.3. The next year we did like 3.5. Then the year after that, we did 20 million. And this past year we did 58 million. So like, what's that? Year, so what's that jump? I mean, I'm sure the number keeps going up, but what's that jump between 3.8 and 20? Yeah. 20. Oh, so the three, so the, the difference between the 3.8 and the 20, that was like, this, the launch of Albany Park and the start of COVID. So our projections went from, my optimistic projections for 2020 were to do 10. And that was me like, really like, I think we can do 10, like not really knowing if we would actually get there, maybe thinking we would land around eight or nine. And then we ended up doing 20. And I was like, that's when things were like crazy and bad and hectic. Like it was a very like, happy and dark period of our lives like <laughs> it was crazy and did, like, you, we went did you see i mean there's, there's both sides of it right like i'm sure everyone's yeah. everyone's sitting at home like holy shit i got a, a house i gotta enjoy now let me up my furniture game and then you right. got supply chain issues on the other side so how did you manage that yeah it was it was crazy it was like we went from being this like i guess in retrospect this like really small mom and pop sort of online store even though i never viewed us like that like that's just kind of my way of thinking like even when we first started the business and we would get like one order a day like if someone asked me what i was doing but oh we have one of the we have a fast growing brand i was a big company blah, blah blah like i never looked at me like oh i just have this small company like i always kind of talked yeah. up what we were doing but i would say like that was like a growing stage for us to go from the three to the 20, where we were like on a hiring spree, like where I was like, the business was growing really fast. Like I was the one who was driving the company truck and assembling furniture at our photo shoots and doing this to like, we were just, it was like, we were hiring people like, man, it's kind of crazy to even explain to you like what happened, but it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot that went in that year. It was just, just trying to keep up with the, the demand and just, man, I, I can't even, I can't even put it into words, but we made it out. And with your wife as a business partner, what is that crossover like? Do you know when to draw the line and be parents or? No, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. It's actually, it's actually a really difficult part about it. It's like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk to Jessica and she'll just be like, Hey, why are you like? I don't want you to be my business partner right now. I want you yeah. to be my husband. We need to finish talking about this right now because I don't understand why you did this when I said that we were going to do this and you made this decision without me. And she's just like, you know, it's like trying to figure out 
when to be a husband, when to be a business partner. And like, it's really good when we're both in business partner mode and it's really good when we're husband and wife mode. But then one of us might be like in a different sort of mode and it's difficult to switch it on and off. So it's kind of like we have this hybrid. My wife and I were just talking like last week because we're both working, you know, we got the new house, we got separation of spaces now, which is great. But we both work from home or we were both working from home all the time. And like, when you're in work mode, you're a different person. We don't right. work together, right? We're both independently right. working, but we're in work mode. We like cross paths and like wouldn't be the best, <laughs> like wouldn't be the best version of herself. I'd be pissed off about something. She'd be bitching about something. Like you know, and like I'd want a vent. She'd want a vent. And we're like, listen, like, we gotta we gotta figure this out because this is, we are not the people that we thought we were gonna be interacting with. So probably, yeah, exactly. So that's interesting, man. And then you got to be parents on top of it, which that's not something that I have to deal with now. So it seems like you figured it out. And I know you're, I know you're short on time. So I want to get to the good part. Not that this, the rest of this has not been good, but crazy growth in three years, like insane growth in three years. Some of it, let's call it happenstance with COVID, right? Right business, right time, right transition. And most of it work ethic and, you know, years and years of, of knowledge and learning from your mistakes and strategically having the right business partner. So talk to me about what just went down and why you have this new skin program and you're drinking green juice and why you, know, you just generally look happier. <laughs> What's going on? I'll tell you what happened. So our, our growth, you know, we were pretty much more than tripling every year. And at this point, I was like, okay, like Jessica and I, we kind of put our foot down and we were like, when is enough enough? When should we step out of the game? Like, I'll admit, like I started this business to one day sell this business. You know, it was always, that was, that was the plan from day one was to create a business to sell. It wasn't like, I was like, oh, I want to pass this down to my grandkids and (laughs) see what they can do with it. Like, (laughs) I was like, I want to sell this business. So when we started to get around the point where we felt like the business is around the valuation that we thought it would be, it was funny. Actually, some investment bankers reached out to us a year earlier and they were like, you know, we, we, we read about your business. We saw how it's growing. We'd love to talk to you. So we talked to them and they said, Hey, I think your business is, I think your business is worth around $40 million right now. We're like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. They're like, so let us know, you know, if you want to do something. And I was like, we're not going to sell the business for less than a hundred. Like that's, that's kind of where we want to be. They're like, well, in order to do that, you're going to need to, you know, be at least at $50 million in revenue. And I was like, well, we're going to be way bigger than that next year. So they're like, all right, well, let, let's see what, let's see what happens. Then, boom, you know what happened? We kept it moving and man, you know, it's really crazy, man, because it's like, it's hard for me to talk a lot of trash without like giving big ups to like the team, the team that we put together, you know, like our CMO, Angela, she sits in Lisbon, Portugal, never met this woman face to face a day in my life. And she's been so instrumental to our growth. You've you know? never met your, that's chief marketing officer. Yeah. The chief marketing yeah. officer. We've never met never, her in person. Never met her in person. We do zoom calls, chats, met her online. And she has been so instrumental wow. to our growth. Like I am literally the only male that's in the management of our company. Like our whole company is like woman, woman led, which I'm, which is so cool. And it, we're all remote. I haven't seen anyone in my, I haven't seen anyone in our company in like two years. That's like, unbelievable. 
period. That's, like, I is, haven't. Is seen it because anything. of location or because of COVID or both or? Um, it's 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 a little bit of both. Even I mean, even before COVID, I had never seen Angela, our CMO. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's just kind of like there, there's really there's really not a need for it. But okay, let me go ahead and talk about the growth. But I just I feel I feel dirty if I don't like talk about like. I make it seem like, oh, I did all this myself. And really it's like, nah, man, like I couldn't have done it without, I literally couldn't have done it without like our CMO, Daisy, Tanil, Jamila, Jan, shout out to Jan, big up to Riz, shout out to the team in the Philippines. What's up, Philippines? Do you hear me? <laughs> I'll make but sure yes. all their names uh, hit, hit the description of the next episode. <laughs> Anywho, last year we did just shy of 60 million in revenue. And at that point, you know, the bankers are like, hey, like we have an interested party. They love your business. They think you'll be a perfect fit. And I was like, all right, cool. So we started talking to these people. We were flying back and forth to California, meeting with them, having Zoom calls. We loved the synergy. We went to their manufacturing facilities in Mexico. It was like a really, really good match. They have so much love for the attention to detail that goes into furniture and the manufacturing process. And we're really like these like e-commerce marketing scale, you know, we're here to like scale the revenue, scale the growth. And they're really, really product people. I mean, we're product people too, but you know, obviously I'm not an engineer or anything like but that. You, but, you're product, product, but you're a product guy, you're a UX guy. I'm like a customer facing guy. I mean, I'm a product guy, but I don't like, for example, the company that acquired us, they have an R and D facility. Like it's like, they have 3D printers in there and they're like, they're getting so granular with the foam and this. And now I'm like, you guys are on like a totally different level than yeah. we are. You know what I mean? So long story short, we closed the deal into February, 150 mil. Oof. I'm like super duper pumped. <laughs> it's crazy because like, it was nothing like what you would imagine it would be. Like we did it over a Zoom call. And like, I did it on DocuSign and it was just kind of like our business. Like we don't see anybody. There's no like celebration. Yeah. It's like you, you click. Sent, <laughs> you sent me the, <laughs> you sent me the video of you guys doing the zoom call and it was, Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're trying to remain very professional and composed and inside. It's like, I, I can't believe that this is happening. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Clearly not how you wrote it up in terms of like the actual moment, but it sounds like it's something that accomplish the initial goal of being something that was big enough to sell. It sounds like you sold for far beyond what you figured you would sell it for. Yep. And now that you're sitting in this position, I mean, you said you're, you've got an addictive personality. You're extremely competitive. You don't seem like the kind of guy who's just going to fade off into the sunset in retirement. What's, uh, no. I mean, I'm going to get right into it. Do you have any idea what's next? Yeah. So, I mean, what's next is genuine sincerely like you know jessica and i will remain on in the company as co-ceos and you know we have an equity stake in the new company we rolled over 20 million dollars worth of equity which you know is quite a bit of equity and so we're definitely fully invested in taking albany park to the next level there's so many initiatives that we had at albany park that our new partner is going to help us see all of our visions through so much easier, just kind of leveraging the capital and their facilities and everything. So we're going to remain on at Albany Park as co-CEOs in the foreseeable future. And so far, so far, it's been great. 
you know, they're very supportive. We get to utilize everything. Like, and Jessica has just been loving it. She's like, oh, I'm going to call the general, I'm going to call the new general counsel. I'm going to call this. I'm going to call that. I'm like, just chill. Like she doesn't know how to deal with all the new resources, you right, know? Right, right, right. <laughs> I was used to doing this myself. I just, you're telling me, I just tell somebody else to do this. Oh my yeah. God. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So she's, she's loving that. She's loving that. But you know, obviously like on a more personal selfish side, the side that you were really trying to get into, like, what is this crazy maniac guy really thinking? Like, I didn't yeah, you're right. <laughs> obviously like in my mind, I'm like, man, like, I feel like, man, I've gotten this point. What would it be like to have a B, you know, to, yeah. what would it be like for your name to be Billy? Especially like if, you know, when you look at the list of black billionaires, there's not many of us, you know, there's like, there's always like, I don't know, like 10 or fewer in the United States. So I'm like, I want to add to that list. You know what I mean? I want to beef it up. I mean, the, the list is growing every year. I actually think there's going to be an explosion, explosion of us over the next five years. And I want to get on that list. So I have, I have some ideas. They're killer ideas. I can't tell you guys now because they're still in their infantile stage. Actually, I'll tell you off record some of them. I just can't put it on record. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll stop the recording. If uh, <laughs> you want to talk about that, I'll, I'll stop it. I'll keep it between yeah. us. But it actually, this is funny because it's now that I think about like what you do for a living and what I want to do, it's like, I was like, holy crap, there's actually like a ton of synergy. synergy. And I didn't even think about it. It's not something that I'm necessarily proud of saying and some of my more like socialist friends don't like when I talk about this kind of stuff because they're like man you already have like enough money it's generational you should just chill and enjoy and you're, this and you're I'm not like, gonna have that problem with me yeah <laughs> <laughs> please speak freely <laughs> it's like yeah I don't know it's like don't ask me why I just I would like to be a billionaire and it's not even about the money I just want to. It's like this competitive thing I have going. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You already called yourself a billionaire. I don't know if you caught it, but you said there's not many of us out there. And I was like, you know what? He already You're identifies right as a billionaire. And right. you seem like a, I mean, you are a guy who has manifested everything that's happened in your life. Everything. So, I mean, to me, look, I, I don't see any reason why you can't accomplish that. It's just drive and grit, right? I mean, you've, yeah. you've experienced a lot of failures. You've learned lessons and now you're sitting here in a position to grow something that's not starting at the ground level with more resources than you've ever had with right. smarter people than you've ever worked with before. Right. You know, nothing against your wife, just different smart people. Right. <laughs> you know, and it, it sounds like you're not taking your foot off the gas. I think it's an easy position to, you know, sit back and say, okay, this is enough. And now let me just chill. But it, you know, I'm telling you, I've been kind of reading you this whole time. You're different on this one than you were on the last one. hundred percent. You seem probably more focused than before. I think not that you weren't focused previously, but I don't know. There's something about you. It's like, you're at a different level. Like I can, I can feel it. I can sense it. Feel it you can feel it in the air. Feel it in the no, air. it's, it's no bullshit, man. It, it yeah. seems like you've now got this under your belt and been like, hey, maybe it wasn't easy, but you've accomplished something that most of society isn't able to accomplish in their lifetime. And you're what, you're 34? 35. In, in, Geezer. Yeah, you're, 30, you're 35. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you're 35, right? 
So most people are just kind of now hitting their stride and you've you know reached a pinnacle of success that most people will never, never attain. You've got the rest of your life ahead of you. So you got to be feeling pretty good, man. Yeah, man, I'm definitely, I'm definitely proud of what we did. It's um, unbelievable, man. And I'm proud of me and Jessica and like everything. And like I said, I definitely am fully still like literally like I, I work full time for Albany Park. I haven't taken my foot off the gas. I don't go shop at Neiman Marcus during my lunch breaks and do all this stuff. I'm just, I'm all in on the company. Really, truly, I really am. It's because it's like, it's infectious. It's like something that I built and I definitely want to see it through to the end. You know, I like, I think Albany Park can, Albany Park will be a billion dollar brand. There's still like, there's still brands out there. I want to kick their butts. It sounded weird. I want to kick their butts. But I want to, I yeah, so. I want to, <laughs> there's still competitors that I want to destroy. And with the new resources that I, that we have with, with Exemplus, the company that acquired us, man, we can, we can really do it. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. So well, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to kiss your butt, but seriously, and I'm not even saying this for the podcast, but think about it. How many of their CEOs have a driving force like you? How many of those companies have a CEO can go toe to toe with you with your drive yeah think about it that way yeah. like there's not there's not a lot of people like you like why yeah why not why right not? you know yeah, very true man i'm super i'm super i'm actually like it's funny because at one point i, I think i did i did want to chill i did think like oh yeah like after this i'll be able to chill and i'll like be able to spend more time with my kids and this and that and like I'm not saying I'm not going to be able to spend more time with my kids, and I don't. Yeah, want to spend you're more you're time just in uh, you're in Bali, right? Yeah, I was in Cabo. Cabo, oh, Cabo. Cabo. We're, yeah, we're in Cabo hanging. No, I mean like I spend a ton of time with my kids. Like literally at night, like I do this relay race between like I'm in my daughter's bed, then I'm in my son's bed, then I change the sheets in my son's bed, and then awesome. my daughter comes into our bed, and it's like. I take them to school and I pick them up from school and I'm going to my daughter's soccer party. I like, I'm all in with the kids. Don't get it twisted. And I'm super present with my kids. It's one of the most important things in the world to me. Sometimes it's because everything's an opportunity cost, you know? And, and I, I, I'm definitely like conscious about that, about being like, man, like every moment I spend, you know, in business or in a meeting or doing anything, that's like, that's a minute I didn't spend with my kids. And I was like, it's something I constantly like give myself like, I'm hard on myself about that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. And you don't want to have guilt, right? Like I think that yeah. like the guilt and the anxiety is, is kind of what drives you. So you, it's always a give right. and take. You got to satisfy ones. You can be prepared to go into the other one, right? You feel right. like if you, if you were deficient in one area, you can't succeed in the other. Or you can't be, you know, fully present. So... That should do it. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to share with a friend, family member, colleague, or just listen to it over and over again. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. It's at postgamepodcast underscore. Or if you really have nothing to do, you can feel free to follow my personal Instagram. It's at Jonathan Weislow. Until next time, this has been the Postgame Podcast.